So here's the deal. Uh, not all choices are good ones, but I have made a good choice right now. I'm a little more mature. Patty's going to take the rest of the sermon. <laughs> choices matter. I can tell you one choice that I made that had such a profound influence on my life that it literally shaped my entire life. And that choice was when at a young age, I decided I was going to learn this word. And then that learning turned into loving this word. I love how relevant this word is to our lives. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it this way, the scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the person of God, the servant of God, will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I have found it to be true countless times in my life that the words of this book have helped to shape me to be the person that God's calling me to be. One of my favorite authors says it this way, God's word must be so strongly fixed in us that it becomes the dominant influence in our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. Boy, I can tell you that is one of the greatest goals of my life, that this word would be the dominant influence on how I live, and it's one of my greatest prayers for you as students here at Indiana Wesleyan. Well, today I want to share with you from this word about one of my heroes. Not only a hero in the Bible, but the reason is he has really had great influence on my life at a couple of times when I needed to live out the story that I learned from Joseph. So I want to share Joseph's story and my story with you here today. One of the things that's fun about Joseph's life is that it really seems to appear in, um, in, in scenes as if it's coming through us to, as a play. And so I want to talk to you today about four of the scenes that I see played out in Joseph's life. The first scene happens in a pit. Joseph's story begins in Genesis chapter 37 where this kid is 17 years old. And he's the favored son of his daddy. Now this favored part of Joseph's life didn't sit real well with his brothers because Joseph gets this special coat from his dad. Um, Joseph tattles on his brothers a little bit. And Joseph has some weird dreams about the fact that his brothers are going to bow down in front of him. You can imagine how that would possibly would make you feel if your brother had all those special favors in his life. And so the brothers begin to hate their brother Joseph. They hate him so much that they plot to kill him. Eventually they say, mm, maybe we won't kill him, but let's get rid of him somehow. And so they throw him into a well, into a pit. And from this pit, Joseph becomes the product of an international slave market where he was sold to some traveling caravan travelers and he ends up in Africa in, a country, in the country of Egypt. Now, I don't know how many choices Joseph had to make at that stage of his life in that pit. But I do know now for the rest of his life, he's going to have a lot of choices to make. And I want you to learn from the choices that he did make. Scene number two. Scene number two comes where Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house. In scene two, he's sold to this man named Potiphar, who happened to be the captain of the guard of Pharaoh. And in this scene, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph and he found such favor 
that the captain of the guard was put Joseph in charge of everything almost in his entire house, in Potiphar's house. And it would seem that Joseph had it all at this point in his life. But an interesting thing happens. The Bible tells us that Joseph was really well-built and handsome. And so he garners the attention of Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife sets out in her mind, in her heart, that she's going to seduce this young, well-built guy. And she begins to come on to him day after day. I mean, think about it, really. Here's this powerful woman, this rich woman, and she's coming on to this young kid over and over and over. He's away from home, so nobody knows him. And he could have chosen to give them to sin because his brothers aren't going to know about it, his daddy's not going to know about it, nobody's going to know about it. I'm convinced that it was a really, really tempting thing for Joseph to do. But guess how he responded? The Bible says this, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. In the face of repeated temptation, he refused to give in. And then one day when nobody was around, she decides, okay, it's time really to make my final play. And she got pretty forceful, and she caught him by his coat, and she said, come to bed with me. I'm not sure exactly what tone she used in that, but I'm not going to try to demonstrate it here. <laughs> She's a persistent little thing, isn't she? But you know what? <laughs> if you have ever experienced sexual temptation, you know that it can be extremely persistent in your life, can it? Well, the only way that Joseph could escape her was by running. And that's just what he did. It says he left his coat in her hand and he ran out of the house. Now, as I read and reread the story of Joseph in this scene, I see a choice that Joseph made that I just long for God's people to make in their lives. Joseph chose integrity. He chose integrity, and I define that as consistently living in light of what's important to God. It carries this idea of subscribing to God's values and living them out. Integrity is living out what God wants you to live, both publicly and privately, both outwardly and inwardly. So why would this guy choose integrity when he could have gotten away with sinning and no one that he knew would have known about it? I think we see the key. I think we see the key in Genesis 39 where it says, he said to her, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph knew to the core of his soul that to give up integrity and to choose to sin, even when other people back home wouldn't know about it, would still be sinning against his God, the God who could see and the God whose opinion mattered. And this understanding held him fast, even when the temptation kept coming at him. Oh my goodness, he is a hero to me. But I can tell you, I remember clearly the day that I had to make the choice about sitting in this chair of integrity. When I was 31 years old, I went to work temporarily at a place called John Deere Insurance. It was kind of an upscale, um, kind of a high-class insurance company. And so when I, when I was working there after a little bit of time, one of my jobs was to take files to a guy named Tom. And I... One day, as I took files into him, I realized that I noticed Tom Lewis. 
And it was really strange to me that I noticed that I noticed him. I noticed that he was really nice looking and he was really just sharp and, and kind of cool and everything. And I noticed that I noticed him. I didn't really think too much about it until, until a few days later I had to go back into his office and I noticed that Tom, um, I noticed that my heart started racing when I walked into his office. I was like, whoa, that's really strange. And then I walked into his office and I began to notice that I was looking forward to going into his office and it scared me to death. It also shocked me to death. You know why? Because I loved this guy with all my heart, still do, but I loved him with all of my heart. And I was fully committed to him. And I was shocked that there was somebody, actually, I can tell you, I never, ever thought it would happen to me. I truly, I remember saying that out loud, I don't think it'll ever happen to me, that I would be attracted to somebody else. And so I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do about this? And you know what happened? The word of God just welled up in me, and it was completely Joseph's story. And I began to think about how he ran and how he left his coat. And he did everything he could possibly do to get away from this potential sin. See, temptation's not sin. But I knew that if I'd seen it over and over in people's lives, that if I were not careful, it could lead into sin. And so I did a couple of things. One, I told my best friend there. Her name was Evie, and I said, Evie, I just want you to know how I'm feeling about Tom Lewis, and I just want you to be aware of it so that if you ever see me doing anything, crossing any lines, would you just help me to know that? You can tell me face to face. And then I did something else that I don't recommend to every single couple, but um, I did it. I told my husband. Um, we had a kind of a pact between us that if we ever found someone else attractive, we would tell the other, because men, talk about putting some boundaries around your life then, those are really good boundaries. And so I told John, and he was praying for me too. The other thing that I did was I began praying, God, help me to see all the things in Tom Lewis that are not good, because I had watched people. <laughs> I had watched people, and I knew that when people first get an attraction to somebody, they think, oh, this is the most wonderful person in the whole wide world. He's so perfect. She's so perfect, da, 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 da. And I know it's not true. They're just normal people. And so I began to say, God, would you help me to see all the things about Tom Lewis that are not good? And so I walked into his office one day, and he was yelling to somebody on the phone. I was like, what? You don't yell at a client on the phone like that in an upscale office like this? And I was like, oh, that is ridiculous. And I walked out of his office, didn't think much about it. Came back in a couple of days later, and I noticed something about Tom Lewis in this. He was just really, really good looking. He wore great clothes, great suits. That was back in the day when we wore suits all the time. And he, I looked down at him, and he had dandruff on his shoulders. I was like, ooh, ooh, he needs to use head and shoulders or something. And, you know, I just didn't get it, that why he would not wipe that off. And then didn't think much about it. A few days later, I went back into his office, and a lot of you won't get this. You won't understand it. But I looked at Tom Lewis, and he was dressed impeccably with this great suit. A little bit of dandruff, but a little bit dressed great. <laughs> I looked down, and he had cowboy boots on. And I'm like, what? Who wears cowboy boots? Inside, I'm saying this. Who wears cowboy boots with fancy suits? And I walked out of the office, and I said, thank you, Jesus. I'm free. <laughs> I'm free. There was nothing I liked about Tom Lewis. I was free. And what helped me to get to that place? The Word of God that helped me to understand that you should run and you can run from temptation. And I wonder about you today. Got any areas in your life where integrity means that you should walk one way? 
but your body or your mind are calling you to live, to give up integrity and to live a different way. How about lying? How about what you do when you sit in front of your computer at one in the morning? How about cheating? How about sexual temptation where you're going too far? Oh, I just encourage you, like Joseph, to be a person who says, I will choose integrity. I will sit in this chair no matter what happens to me. Because you see, the Holy Spirit wants to so transform your heart and your life that you can choose integrity no matter how strong the temptation is. Scene three. Scene three in prison. So how do you think Potiphar's wife took this rejection? Not well. In fact, the Bible says she burned with anger and she told her husband all about it so that, I mean, she said, Joseph was trying to assault me and Potiphar sent Joseph to prison. But even here, even here, he lives with integrity. He continues to live with such a high standard in prison that it says the Lord was with him and he found favor in prison with the prison warden. And the prison warden puts him in charge of everything. Now we know that, um, that Joseph had something to do with, had some special ability with dreams. Because back here when he was 17, he's dreaming that his brothers were someday going to come and bow down before him. And then in prison, we find out that God gives him this special ability to interpret dreams for some people, for two guys. One of those guys gets out of prison, and he's supposed to tell Pharaoh about what Joseph has done so Pharaoh could give Joseph special consideration. And the man gets out of prison, and he forgets about Joseph. And Joseph languishes in what he calls the dungeon for two more years. Now I have to admit, there's a part of me that kind of tends to think, wait a minute, God. If I were in this situation, I would say, I keep living for you. I keep living and being a person of integrity, but you keep forgetting me. So what choice does Joseph make when he's in prison? He could have chosen bitterness. But if you read the entire story of Joseph's life, you don't have any indication that there was any bitterness anywhere in him. So what kept him from being bitter? I think it was because in this situation, he chose trust. He chose trust. Trust that God had not forgotten him. Trust that God had not abandoned him even when he was in prison. I get this response from something that, I get this um, indication from something that he said to his brothers years later as he looks back on this situation and he says to them, it was not you who sent me here, but God. It was not you who sent me here, but God. And I have to admit, this messes with my theology a little bit. Because I know that the Bible teaches me that God loves us passionately. And I know that it teaches us that God doesn't tempt anyone to sin. So reading that God was somehow actually involved in these messes of the pit and rejection and being in prison, it kind of messes with me a little bit. I mean, it seems to me like a loving God should never have let a child he loved be thrown into a pit. It seems to me that a loving God should never let a, God, let a child he loved be thrown into prison when all he was doing was living by integrity. It seems to me that a loving God should never let a child he loved remain in a dungeon for two years because he'd been forgotten. And yet that's just what my God did. 
And it reminds me, this story, this part of Joseph reminds me that there will be times in my life and times in your life when we are not going to understand our God. We are simply going to have to make the choice to trust him. And I've had to come to do that over and over again in my own life where I've had to decide to surrender my expectations of what a loving God will allow to happen in my life. I've had to say over and over again, God, I don't understand you, but I am convinced by your word that you love me and that you are in the middle of my pit and in my prison, and so I choose to surrender to you. You see, this is an important thing to come to because if we don't get to the place where we choose trust in the pit and in the prisons, we will tend to come to the place where we get disillusioned with God and we'll get chains of bitterness wrapping us up and we can tend to be people then who walk away from God. It's really about trust. One author says, Jesus is asking you to trust him at a very profound level. Trust him with everything that's dear to you. Trust him with your own soul. If you're in a prison today, I'm asking you, will you choose trust? Scene four, the palace. So finally, Joseph comes um, out of prison, and he comes to the attention of Pharaoh. And And Pharaoh sees him as such a discerning, wise person that Pharaoh promotes him to being the top dog in the country next to Pharaoh. And eventually, through some amazing turn of events, um, Joseph's brothers have to come down to Egypt to get some food because there's a great famine going on. Guess who's in charge of the food? Yep, that brother. The brothers don't recognize him. They don't recognize this man who's now 30 years old. They don't recognize this guy who dresses like an Egyptian, who looks like an Egyptian, who talks like an Egyptian. And every time I say that, I want to say, and walks like an Egyptian. But (laughs) I can't get that out of my brain whenever I practice this part. (laughs) They just know that they're at the mercy of their brother. And they bow down to him and ask for his favor and his mercy, and Joseph's dream, Joseph's dream comes true. Now, Joseph knows his brothers at once. These men who have plotted against him, who have thrown him into the pit, who have sold him into slavery, and now he's got the power and the authority to destroy their lives for what they have done to him, and he could have chosen revenge, and he could have made them pay. But instead, he chooses forgiveness. He chooses forgiveness, and he says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Oh, how this man just touches my life because <coughs> he's such a model of what God calls his people to be. He's such a model of what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not a feeling, guys. Forgiveness, forgiveness is an act of the will that chooses to say, I'm going to let that person who's hurt me off the hook. I'm not going to get revenge. I'm not going to make them pay. Now, if you have ever been, in, uh, been hurt real badly, you know how hard it is to not want to get back at that person who's hurt you, and so do I. In fact, these two chairs became a real significant part of my life and Joseph's story. Um, A a year or two ago in chapel, I told you about how um, 
One day my mom died, six years ago my mom died, and six days later my dad died. The day that my dad died, I found out something that I'd always thought was true was true, that he was not my biological father. And I struggled a lot. I mean, my heart just ached, and I had all these questions, and I had all this sense of, how in the world could you have lied to me for all of these years, and why would you do this? And over a period of time, I was able, I mean, over a quick period of time, I was able to say, I am going to forgive them completely. And I really, really did. And that was, I thought, the end of the story. Then there was another part of the story. This summer... Because of Ancestry.com, I found my biological father. It's kind of emotional for me. And I found uh, my brother, his son, my brother. It was just really, really exciting, except that I also found out that they're dead. And so all of those thoughts that I had had, all of those feelings that had stirred in me back six years ago that I'd had to work through and had to surrender began to come back again. And it was, God, why couldn't they have told me the truth while these men were living and I could have developed some kind of relationship or I could have known about them or something? Lord, why? Did, did you forget during those years when I was longing to know why, why God, could I not have known and I had a great measure of pain. Now, obviously, as I worked through this, I could not do what Joseph did face to face, and I could not treat my mom and my dad kindly because they were gone and had been dead for six years. But you know what? In my heart, in my thoughts, I knew I had a choice. I could be angry and bitter towards these people who were dead, or I could let them off the hook for the pain that they had inflicted on me through the lies that they had told me, and I could treat them kindly in my heart. And I felt like God said, will you really trust me in this situation, in this situation that you cannot see my hand at work yet? But will you trust me in this, and will you forgive them out of your heart and internally let go of any anger and any bitterness? And then I felt like he was saying, Patty, will you be a person of integrity? And all of these things that you have taught people and you have preached people for ye to, to people for years about the power of God that lives within the believer to enable us to live the lives that God wants us to live, will you really live it? And I can tell you a thousand times over the power of God can reside in the believer where he really can help us to live lives like Joseph, where we are people of integrity, where we are people of trust, where we are people of forgiveness. And you have a card in front of you today. And that card says choosing right in the tough places of life. And I wonder for you today as we do kind of an altar call, what do you need to check? Where do you need to commit or to recommit today? Perhaps for you, it would be I need to say, I'm going to live in this chair of integrity. I'm not going to do any wicked thing against God. And perhaps it is that you need to repent over some kind of sin that you're living in. Maybe nobody else knows about it. Oh, this is the chair of integrity. <laughs> Get the right chair there. <laughs> not that it makes a difference, but it does to me. Maybe. Maybe you need to be a person who says, I'm going to sit in the chair of trust. I'm going through things that I don't understand, God, but I believe that you love me. I believe that you're there no matter what I'm going through. Or maybe you need to say, boy, there's somebody who's hurt me badly, 
and I just want to forgive them. I want to let them off the hook.